welcome to Sex, Love, and Liberation with yours truly, Michelle Casey. I asked my community on Instagram what they'd most like me to record a podcast episode about, and my life story was the second most requested one. It felt like my story would be best told through a conversation with someone who knows my soul, you know? So I messaged my very dear friend, Sarah Barr, and asked her if she would join me on the airways. And I'm very excited that she said yes. Hey babe, welcome. Sarah is an incredible entrepreneur. She is an amazing female leader, owner of six pole dancing studios across Aotearoa. Altitude Pole represent. She's also a beautiful mum and a very curious human. <laughs> okay, Michelle, no one's here to listen to my life story. We're here to listen to your life story. Well, in a minute, in a minute, because I just want people to have the context of our friendship and, you know, Sarah is someone that I've been very lucky to walk alongside in life for eight years. We've seen each other through many different, like, personal evolutions. Oh, yes. (laughs) And so she's someone that I trust, like, with my most vulnerable bits. And she's like one of those people. We're gonna we're gonna get emotional. <laughs> she's someone who just you know gets it, um, and she's also someone that's blessed my life with lots of very like deep, teachable, growing conversations. And so it felt so appropriate to have you here with me, <laughs> Michelle. That feels that feels so lovely. <laughs> and as you were saying that, I was just reflecting on when you used to work in corporate and you weren't sure whether you were going to move into this work or not because there were so many barriers and Mm. I was in the same space in my life being a primary school teacher and thinking I'm going to go into this thing that doesn't make any money and how am I going to afford food Mm -hmm. Um, and we've just come such a a long way and I'm so I feel honoured to be walking alongside you (laughs) love ya So I would love to hand the reins over to you. Where would you like to begin? (laughs) The thing is, I always like to start from the beginning. So I guess we'll start from there. So Michelle, tell us where you were born. Tell us a little about your parents. Tell us about little Michelle. I realize that's three questions in one. Please just choose one. The trifecta. I can take it. I can take it all. (laughs) So, So I was born in... Aotearoa in Auckland, New Zealand, um, at National Women's Hospital. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Got it. And I am like first generation um, from both of my parents who are both immigrants. So my mum is Samoan. She came over here in her late teenage years, maybe early 20s. And my dad is from Switzerland. So I have a huge family. Uh, on my mum's side, I have 11 aunties and uncles. And Samoan families traditionally are large <laughs> in size. And so all of my aunties and uncles have 
a lot of kids so I have a huge amount of cousins and then second cousins and then on my dad's side I have 10 aunties and uncles and so both my Swiss and Samoan families are large. I would say from early on I was very self-expressed as mm-hmm. a kid so there's lots of home videos of me dancing on the coffee table oh, just getting so like late. lost in music and I had like an afro for a while when I was little <laughs> like actual full afro Cute. I will see if I can find some photos and I'll, I'll share them online as well um and I I remember from a young age like having a real sense of fairness mm. so I think that that really came from so my we grew up in uh east auckland which when i was young was a predominantly white and asian area so there were no uh very few brown Mm. people Mm. so i had um i went to school with two and a half thousand students at high school and i would say there was five pacific islanders and maori um and so i think i developed this real sense of like Things are like fair or unfair from seeing the way that people would relate to my mother being Mm. one of the few brown people in the area. And I, from like a young age, learned to be bold and to be her protector. So I have one memory in particular where we were waiting in line for like at the food court maybe. And then someone had like pushed in front of my mum and before I could even walk, so my mum was like carrying me, I grabbed the hood of their hoodie (laughs) and pulled them (laughs) back, just apparently staring them down. And my mum said that that was like a moment that was quite definitive of like how I was like, you know, like everyone has to be fair and kind to one another. Yes. Yeah, and I also have um, two older brothers. So uh, one of my brothers is nine years older than me. The other's, other is 10 years older than me. So I had an interesting, uh, like, kind of only child experience okay. whilst also having siblings that um, I did have a close bond to as well. They just weren't yeah. around much. Yeah, yeah. That's quite polar I guess because you're in such a big family but also a small yes <laughs> yeah do you know listening to that it really makes sense to me as to why you're in this line of work that you are at the moment because you are such a fierce protector of women mm-hmm. but not only women lots of different people and you really make a stand and work through a lot of uncomfortableness in yourself so that you can hold other people in their challenges too so Mm. this makes a lot of sense to me as Mm. to why you're in the work that you're doing um and of course it's aligned because you've just been so successful and I just yeah that's just amazing yeah well on that like I would say that the reason I came into working with people in this way was birthed out of trauma yeah so you know for a lot of us that are like highly sensitive humans Mm. um you know whilst that can be genetic a lot of it is also environmental and one of the ways I learned to survive when I was young and navigate my parents tumultuous relationship Mm. and navigate some of the personal challenges I had in in life was to like 
really be so sensitive to my environment and what came with that was being the caretaker being the person who you know turned tension into laughter or um you know would be the person consoling someone when they were upset because that's the role that I played for my mom and then that was also who I was for my parents when you know my mom native Samoan my dad native Swiss there's some interesting communication issues that can arise Mm. when you have such distinct cultural backgrounds Mm. but also English is the second language for both of my parents and so I was the conduit like the the translator trying to help them like hear one another which was always their challenge and so very much I came into this work because I was so afraid of well one because I had a natural like as a word proclivity to like being in that role Mm. um but then also because I was so afraid that I would never be able to have a successful relationship based on what I'd seen with my parents. And so I was like, I will learn all of the skills. (laughs) (laughs) I will not fail. (laughs) So what I'm hearing is you're an alchemist. (laughs) But also from that, you saw or you had a vision of how your life didn't want to follow mm-hmm. follow that yeah. and I'm guessing this was your springboard into starting doing your own work mm-hmm. so I'm so curious like where did it, where did it start <laughs> because I have yeah. always known you as someone who is sexually liberated and so well spoken and just able to negotiate situations and also be a very high performer Mm. and make it look so easy Mm. so how where did it I know it's a very hard question where did it start but like I know now that I have a sense of where it's come from why like I want to know why was it the sexual route you went down rather than lots of other people like myself I went down like the money story path or Mm. I or I went down like a business path to try and change my situation but you chose sex yes Mm. oh so it's you know every year that I live I gain more insight into why it was this you know when I started on the journey I would not have been able to tell you what Mm. I can tell you now it was just this like unconscious or intuitive pull in this direction Mm. so well really where it started was in the pole dancing studio so I've shared my story about pole dancing Mm. many a times basically I went to a like go-go dancing bar in Auckland City that's called the Champagne Room. It no longer exists. And I was so hypnotized by the dancers and it was very empty. And so I was having a go on the pole. And one of the dancers said to me, like, you should try pole dancing. Um, cameo appearance from the washing machine in the background, if you can hear that. Um, we keep it real. We keep it real. So, yeah, so that, um, you know, really, like, spoke to something inside of me. Um, And I just, like, felt this 
pool to go and try pole dancing and at that time there were only a handful of studios in the entire country and so it felt like a really rebellious act and so that just like brought something in me to life um and what it ultimately was was me feeling like my sexuality was mine for the Mm -hmm. first time and I had never felt that ever my sexuality had always felt like this thing that I knew had power Mm. um, especially in relationship with boys and men Uh, and so like I I was aware that that was a thing in the feminine experience Mm. but I had never felt what it's like to just inhabit your sexuality truly for yourself Mm. um you know to share it with the female gaze um and so you know that's part of it what I would say is another part is that I had really internalized the idea that issues around sex and sexuality was why my parents yes broke up okay okay um yeah and then i think the last piece would be that i i remember when i was young just being such like a naturally sensual little kid right (laughs) i remember like having this like just life force and this radiance and i was so like big as i am now and I could tell that my mom, because of her trauma and her fear, was terrified about that quality in me. <sighs> and so she, you know, out of such pure love, just diminished it, diminished it, trained it out of me. And then the rest of the world did the same. Mm. My dad did the same. My brothers did the same. Teachers at school did the same. Trying to keep you safe, hey? Exactly. Yeah. And so I had really learned a lot of shame about that part of me like my natural eroticism I I mean that as being distinct from like the pornographic like just this like natural juicy vivaciousness that exists within all of us and so I had deeply felt the disempowerment of not being connected to that Mm -hmm. all through especially my teenage years which were very difficult for me it's when I could feel that my sexual disempowerment was oh, just this like this like numbness yeah. around me where I was like, okay, I can't be this, I can't be this, I'll just disconnect from myself. I just won't feel, I won't, you know, I won't be flirtatious, I won't be creative, I won't be any of these things, I'll just be this intellectual, sporty overachiever. That's what the world once Once. from me and you did that very well yeah (laughs) yeah very well (laughs) as well yeah Yeah, totally um but then I also you know experienced like a lot of manipulation because of my sexual disempowerment from men I experienced trauma I had a number of instances when I was young where I was like just felt like wow this is this is what it feels like when you don't own your sexuality obviously Mm. I didn't see it as that then Mm. but that's what I see it as now Mm. and so something in me was like this can't be it like this there's just something that's not in alignment Mm. here 
Um, yeah. So I'm going to fast forward a few years. Where, where you are at now. You're working with people one-on-one. You do group coachings. Tell me how that sits for you in your life. Like, I want to know... Because I always imagine Michelle, you know, she wakes up and she's wearing gorgeous lingerie and then she gets up to her goals. <laughs> how? Tell me how you do it. I mean, sometimes, but very rarely. <laughs> I feel most sensual in like my like full full bottomed cotton briefs, fully breathable, pussy's heavy, can like inhale, exhale, and like a wire-free bralette that's and then like my silk dressing gown that's like my favorite outfit in the world. (laughs) And I most like to wear it in bed. (laughs) So yeah, so this this thing, this my my quote unquote business, which I've started to call House of Medicine. Oh! <laughs> I wish I knew that before. House of Medicine. I like that. That's yeah, good. there's something that I'm not, I don't resonate with. Um, there's something that feels limiting when I call it my business. Like I feel less inspired that to makes sense. be of service. Yeah. And it brings like a different energetic quality to like money being yes. exchanged. And yeah. then all of a sudden I'm like, I don't want it. I don't like this. <laughs> so. Yeah, so the way I see my house of medicine <laughs> is kind of as this vessel for me to express myself authentically. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, the part that's about me is I really want to always be pushing my own edges and growing through being an entrepreneur. Um, and also, um, of course, like a huge part is really wanting to be and generous service yeah. to um, my communities, to my clients, uh, because that's part of my spiritual practice. That's something that makes me feel fulfilled. And it's something I've had to do a huge amount of work with because when I started working with people, I was very much doing it from this like codependent, caretaking energy where it was self-sacrificing I was Mm -hmm. exhausting myself I was taking too much responsibility for people's journeys the way you were taught and the way you're conditioned right exactly exactly I would even feel like I would feel myself putting my full awareness into their bodies I would feel like okay like I'm feeling I can feel their sensations I can I can feel everything and, and that was where I felt I needed to try to be mm. um, in order to to work with people and uh, in the what five six years that I've been doing this work I, I felt myself like taking my energy yeah. back and learn actually the tenants of holding space so like okay I can't really be holding space for people unless I'm holding space for myself inside of myself Mm. and being structured um inside of me and so it's been hugely profound for me to learn like professionally and also personally how to how to be generous in service without being codependent I've been oh meditating on this so much (laughs) so yeah you kind of asked about like my day-to-day <laughs> oh that was better okay. don't talk about your day-to-day it's so boring 
I think it's probably important to... <laughs> I, I imagine there are at least a handful of people that have a similar um, idea as you. Like, oh, I'm just being who I am on stage 24-7. I'm just like, woke up like this. I woke up like this. When that is so far from the truth. Yeah. Like, I am not... You know, myths I'd like to bust is I'm not like some crazy horn dog who's like... <laughs> always up for sex all the time and just like everything sexy comes to her so easy and she's always you know just like her most vivacious sexy self that is so far from the truth (laughs) of course I have cultivated like a a deep connection to my sexuality but my sexuality goes through seasons I go through times where I don't feel erotic at all um you know, I feel resistance to having sex, and then I'll go through times where I'm like, what, summer baby? Like, I feel so in my sensuality. I'm ovulating! <laughs> like, yeah. So, what I got from that is your, well, one of the threads that I wanted to follow, I guess, was that your house of medicine is, is just as much as a growth container for you as it is for your clients because I imagine that you would work with people and they would bring up some things in you as as that's what happens in in all relationships I want to know just from a purely like selfish curious place (laughs) how do you stay how do you stay out of that caretaking role and stay in your own body and be able to hold the space while simultaneously knowing, oh, this is triggering me. I want to know, yeah, like, do you have a strategy for mm. being able to do that? Oh, great question. So the first part is awareness. So the more that I am aware of my own experience, the sooner I can catch the beginning of triggers Mm -hmm. uh, and that then allows me to use a tool um, earlier in the game so this is also something I've gotten really good at with practice because I have thousands of hours of sessions under my belt now (laughs) and so you know earlier in the game it would be more difficult for me to to stay relaxed and open, which is what I see as the, like, why we use nervous system regulating tools mm-hmm. is, like, the goal is to be able to stay relaxed and open. Mm-hmm. And so, for me, it's a matter of returning to the breath. So, usually when we're triggered, we are feeling fear, our awareness wants to go outside mm-hmm. of ourselves. And so, I will take a breath. And I might even use like a hand movement to imagine like pulling it back into myself. And then I've developed the muscle where I can say to like the sensation, the trigger, I'll be with you later. Mm. And I, I say that really from the heart, like I see you, I'll be with you later. Yeah. And then part of what's made that such a successful strategy for me is actually being with it later. So it's easy to just be like, okay, it's kind of gone away let's just move on but I'll make sure I show up to journal to dance it out to have a conversation with someone I trust or Mm. with my own coach about it 
but I would say that's one of my superpowers now in life is my ability ability to regulate through through triggers yeah. through like difficult stimulation and really what I've like how I've done that is just working it out working it out at session after session after session that sounds exactly like parenting (laughs) yeah yeah exactly and the exact tool that you used in terms of like breathing it in and saying I will come back to you later Mm. is exactly what I've been doing with my children because they trigger me all the time I love them but Mm -hmm. they trigger me all the time Mm -hmm. and to be able just to just say I will be with you later is so powerful Mm. yeah I think what also helps and I imagine you'll resonate with this is because I have overall a excitement around (laughs) finding blind spots inside of myself so exciting (laughs) yeah I'm like ooh, I like think of it as a present to unwrap and so like the more you do your inner work like that you do it's like you get all of the low-hanging fruit at the start and then you have to start going deeper Mm -hmm. and so I do get excited when I get a new present to unwrap because I'm like oh there's potential within this so I know there'll be some people listening that are like what the fuck (laughs) and those people tend to be people with avoidant (laughs) temperaments where I have a you know an anxious attachment temperament and so you know, anxious folks tend to want to go towards the problem to solve it. And that's mm. the thing that brings a sense of safety. Um, oh, yeah. makes so much sense. Sometimes I feel like a superstar when I say my friend is Michelle. <laughs> 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 like if I'm talking to some of my friends, they'll be, you know, I'll be like, oh, I'm... I kind of boast a little bit. I'll be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to see my friend Michelle Casey. Do you follow her on Instagram? And honestly, nine times out of ten, they're like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. <laughs> um, but so often when we get into a conversation, the thing that stops people from taking that next step in terms of like, okay, I am going to work about this is this massive fear of, but what if I say something and she doesn't understand or she gaslights me or she shuts Mm. me down or she thinks I'm weird you know those kind of fears when sharing your most vulnerable stuff with someone you seemingly I mean you think you know them because you see them on Instagram Mm. but actually you don't know how they're going to show up and to have that trust what do you tell because I imagine this is something that comes up with your the people that you work with a lot Mm. what do you say to kind of soothe them in that fear Mm. oh wow great question so what I tell my clients um especially those that I can sense that's there for them Mm -hmm. is to let our trust like in our therapeutic relationship be something that does grow bit by bit Mm. and so I don't have the expectation of trust and I think it's yeah. so valid that to is. to you know build an evidence bank of oh even this professional um is someone that needs to earn my trust yes. before I share my most vulnerable pieces now some people will come into my practice already feeling that from 
my content from reading my newsletter mm. or from you know having an experience with me in a workshop or in yeah. a dance class yeah. uh, and then for, and they might also be people that are a bit more open book in life yeah. uh, but for my clients who are more avoidant and they haven't had safe spaces to express themselves and they have been gaslight gaslit gaslighted yes. <laughs> Yeah, they've experienced gas, gas bombed. Gas bombed. <laughs> <laughs> they've been gas bombed. And, you know, it makes perfect sense that they have that, you know, protective layer, that resistance to, to sharing openly. So I'm like, just bring it into your sessions. Like, it's yeah. welcome. Yeah. Mm. Oh, I just want to share how powerful just even that piece is because. For me, and I think for lots of people, I only have experience, before I met you actually, I had only really had experience of people <laughs> gaslighting me, or <laughs> I didn't even know what gaslighting was until last year. I had to look it up, because I kept seeing it all over Instagram, I was like, what is, <laughs> what is this? And then I was like, oh, that's what happens, <laughs> like, oh yes, that is my experience too. Mm. Like you think about you go to a doctor and you you have to share very vulnerably with your doctor and not all doctors are the same. And and so some doctors are really good at holding the space for you and some doctors are really not. And so it makes sense that a lot of us have a lot of wounding around being vulnerable. Mm. Yeah. Um, but just being in friendship with you, Michelle, I've learned how to listen better. Mm. I've learned how to hold space better. I've learned I've learned what a good, authentic, respectful relationship looks like. Mm. And I think that regardless of what you do in the sessions with people, regardless of the tools that you share or no matter what it is, just ha- experiencing a relationship where that is the norm is so powerful because it elevates your standards Mm. it elevates what you expect from life and then you can ask more from life so yeah I just wanted to let you know that (laughs) (laughs) barely holding it together and I would love for you to know that I've experienced the same thing in our friendship in return. You know, I think yeah. what's beautiful about our connection is that we both challenge each other. We both teach one another. And, you know, from when we were pole dancing and... Such a... Yeah, we... <laughs> and, like, you know, just really wholeheartedly wanting each other to just succeed in whatever way you know that whatever that looked like to to where we are now and so I just want you to know that that experience is so reciprocal and definitely not like just a one-way thing I'm like bitch same (laughs) (laughs) isn't that just so amazing yes it is (laughs) because I have used you I've used you as like a bath (laughs) And, like, obviously, like, not many of my friends have that much chance of hitting that bar because you're, like, one in a million. (laughs) But that's how, yeah, I set the risk standards for our relationships. And I truly believe that the quality of our relationships are the quality of our lives. Mm -hmm. And in that, you don't have a good relationship without good communication. Mm -hmm. So 
from there, the quality of your communication is the quality of your life. And I feel that that is also one of your biggest strengths is mm. how you communicate with people. Mm. Mm. I know I'm supposed Thank to be you. asking you questions. But Thank you. <laughs> I'm, you're just <laughs> loving on me so fiercely. I'm just like, breathe, Michelle, receive it, receive it. Oh, you don't even have to receive it. Just like tell it that you'll deal with it. Yeah, later. yeah, totally. I'll be with you soon, my love. <laughs> I'll be, I'll be with you soon. <laughs> Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to ask you some more questions and learn a little bit more about you. I feel like you're a very deep ocean, and I'll never get to the bottom of you. But I don't feel like anyone gets to the bottom of themselves. So <laughs> here we are. Thank you so much, my love, and I hope you enjoyed listening to us. I promised I wouldn't sing. <laughs> Let's take it out with a song. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Sarah. I love yeah, you. I what love a you. pleasure yeah. to have you here yeah. in my green office that everyone will see on Instagram. We're sitting on the floor. <laughs> I had a meeting in here this morning and they were like, oh my gosh, are you in Michelle's office? I was like, yes. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> the, green <laughs> the green room. The green room. So are you going to paint it, I feel like? Yeah, I'm going to paint it probably mauve or lavender. I feel like this is the year of lavender, even though it's been my favourite colour for quite some time. No, that's very interesting you say that, because I just bought lavender um, bed threads for Christmas, oh. and I'm very, very attracted to that colour, so... Nice. There we go. All right, everyone. Love y'all. Thanks for tuning in. Catch you next time. Bye.